And Renee Vitale is out on assignment this morning, so she'll be joining us later on when we catch up with Guy Lloyd and Jamie as well from the auto show. Uh, Renee's not at the auto show. She's somewhere else. Uh, But, of course, the big story we're all watching, UAW President Sean Fain took the Facebook Live yesterday evening to explain the strike plan if a deal is not reached with the big three automakers by 11.59 tonight. Fain called for what he calls a stand-up strike. Uh, Local UAW chapters and plants will get instructions from the national leadership on whether or not to strike. Chapters and plants that are instructed to strike will do so. All others will continue working. And Fain says that more plants can be called to strike or back to work theoretically, depending on how negotiations are going. This is going to create confusion for the companies. It's going to keep them guessing on what might happen next. And it's going to turbocharge the power of our negotiators. To be as effective as possible, it's important that the locals that are not on strike keep organizing actions, keep organizing red shirt days, parking lot rallies, protests, and community events. Show the companies that you are ready to go on a moment's notice. The name stand-up strike is a nod to the sit-down strike of 1930 that gained the UAW recognition among among auto companies. Sean Fain will take to Facebook Live again tonight at 10 p.m. to give his first set of stand-up strike instructions. Congresswoman Debbie Dingell is saying that the UAW won't picket or protest a charity preview if a deal is not reached with the big three before then. Dingell told Phoebe Wall-Howard of the Free Press, I'm sending a signal that there will not be a picket line and the UAW is supporting raising money for charity. The UAW is planning on holding a 4 p.m. solidarity rally before the charity preview at the Ford UAW program building. That's right next door to Huntington Place. And Dingle says she plans on attending both the rally and the charity preview. And as the big three UAW deadline looms, Uh, 1,100 UAW members who work for Blue Cross Blue Shield began picketing yesterday outside their building in Lansing, just two blocks away from the Capitol. Steve Dawes, director of UAW Region, says Blue Cross workers are protesting outsourcing in their call center, unfair labor practices, and wage disparities that require an employee to work for 22 years before reaching the top pay tier. America's biggest tech CEOs traveled to Washington, D.C., To educate senators on artificial intelligence, Fox's Jessica Rosenthal reports that over 60 senators attended the forum, which was closed to the press and the public. Bill Gates, Sam Altman of OpenAI and Sundar Pichai of Google were among those in attendance at the Senate AI Forum, which Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer called historic. We come out of that room exhilarated. He said each CEO agreed Congress needs to regulate AI, but after the meeting, Elon Musk said he didn't think Congress was ready for the task. Schumer was asked to respond to that. It's a big challenge. This is the hardest thing that I think we have ever undertaken. But we can't be like ostriches and put our head in the sand. He said the goal was to maximize the benefits, like curing diseases, while minimizing the negatives. After the meeting, Fox Business reporter Hillary Vaughn asked Musk, Is AI going to kill us all, Mr. Musk? I hope not. Jessica Rosenthal, Fox News. Well, just getting right direct, uh, right direct to the hard-hitting questions. Uh, escaped murderer Danilo Cavalcante was arrested yesterday, nearly two weeks after escaping from prison near Philadelphia, by crab walking up a wall through razor wire. Authorities picked up Calvacante's heat signature at 1 a.m. yesterday morning, about 20 miles away from the prison. 
but had to call off the search until morning due to bad weather. In the meantime, tac- tactical teams secured the area and moved in with search dogs. Cavalcanti, who was armed with the rifle that he stole a few days ago, tried to escape by crawling through some shrubbery when he was bitten on the scalp by a police dog and taken into custody without incident. Cavalcanti was sentenced to life in prison for killing his ex-girlfriend just days before he escaped. A Michigan State University spokeswoman said the school chose not to seek details of sexual harassment allegations against football coach Mel Tucker while they were being investigated. Interim President Teresa Woodruff acknowledged in a statement that she and the Board of Trustees were aware that an investigation into the allegations was open last December and wrapped up in July, but said that she and the majority of the Board of Trustees didn't learn the details until the USA Today report was published on Sunday along with the rest of us. MSU spokeswoman Emily Garant said that there's no rules against school leaders knowing the status of an ongoing sexual harassment investigation. But the university felt the board and the president should stay out of it to, quote, ensure fair and thorough investigation and that there should be no pressure or influence on the process as it plays out. Meanwhile, Brenda Tracy, the rape survivor and sexual assault educator and advocate, who was accusing Mel Tucker of pleasuring herself on the phone without her consent, released a statement through her lawyer saying that she went to USA Today with the story because someone had leaked her name in connection with the investigation. Mel Tucker remains suspended without pay pending a hearing on October 5th and 6th. Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson says in a written opinion piece that Donald Trump will be on the Michigan ballot unless a court intervenes. Activist Robert Davis, he asked Benson to declare Trump ineligible for the 2024 ballot because the 14th Amendment disqualifies him from running after the January 6th insurrection, an opinion that's gaining popularity with a number of legal scholars. Benson writes that the appropriate forum for deciding whether a candidate qualifies to serve in office under the Constitution is the courts. And in a case with national implications such as this one, the Supreme Court, though it would be best for the country if that resolution came soon, it's not a given that the court will pronounce on it before the 2024 primary season ends. That's why in Michigan, unless a court rules otherwise, Donald Trump will be on the ballot for our Republican presidential primary on February 27th, 2024. The human cost of the border crisis was the focus of Congress this week. Fox's Ryan Schmelz has the details. Sandy Snodgrass sharing the story of losing her son to a fentanyl overdose in front of members of Congress. She says even though her home state of Alaska is far from the southern border, drug cartels are targeting her state because they can make a lot of money. One pill in an Alaskan village can cost $80. That same pill sold in a large American city cost $10. At a House hearing focusing on the impacts of the border crisis, Snodgrass proposed solutions like designating Mexican drug cartels as terrorist organizations to give the U.S. government more power to go after them. But the Biden administration has come out against the idea, saying it won't give them any more power. In Washington, Ryan Schmelz, Fox News. North Korean President Kim Jong-un pledged full and unconditional support to Russia after the two men met uh, on the east coast of Russia, those two men are uh, Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin. Kim Jong met Putin in his limousine that he transported on his bulletproof train for the meeting, and the meeting lasted about three or four hours. Russia is seeking two things from North Korea uh, that they have a lot of, aging ammunition and Soviet-era weaponry, uh, in exchange for food and missile technology. 
It is believed that the majority of Russia's weapons stockpile has been depleted by their attack on Ukraine. Kim Jong-un will visit a number of other Russian cities on his own. And uh, it sounds like Kim Jong-un really took the train uh, that tops out at 37 miles per hour. I uh, did a little uh, uh, map quest investigation um, from Pyongyang, uh, the capital of North Korea, to the eastern city uh, in Russia. The name escapes me right now that the two men were meeting at. That's a 424-mile trip. So it had to have taken forever. I think that's an 11-hour trip without stops. Coming up next, uh, we talked to a former U.S. uh, attorney for the Southern District of New York about the impeachment inquiry opened up by House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. It's first thing with Mike Parsons on WJR. All right, it's time to round up the crew scattered all over the Metro Detroit area. Uh, Guy, Jamie, and Lloyd are on uh, on location. Renee is on location. I'm the hunchback here in the bell tower of the eighth uh, floor of the Fisher Building. Let's uh, let's start with Renee. Let's see if we can make contact with Renee. Uh, where do we find you this morning, Renee? Good morning. I'm in New Baltimore at Aiken and Orman Insurance. How are you? Good. And, and so, what's going on out there uh, today? Uh, it is their 75th anniversary. Uh, it is a beautiful place. You know, anytime I get a chance to hang out on the east side, I'm home. <laughs> so uh, they, they let me stay home today, essentially. And uh, they've got celebrations planned all morning long. And uh, I encourage you to stop in here, whether it is that uh, you're on the east side and you just want to say hello to us, or if you are uh, looking to, you know, maybe uh, shop insurance, uh, talk to them about risk management, uh, you know, they, they can take care of you here. So we're, it's really easy to find them. They're right off of, uh, in the new Baltimore area, right off of uh, 94. So come on out, and uh, we're going to be here all day today. I'll be out here till noon, and then uh, the Rich Meister will be <laughs> taking over at uh, after that at, from noon on. Well, and the great thing about being in the Bal- new Baltimore, you could either take a car or a jet ski out there. So <laughs> That is very true. We're right off of beautiful Lake St. Clair. There's no reason to not go see uh, Renee. And then uh, down at the auto show, uh, the JR Morning Crew, Guy Gordon, Lloyd Jackson, Jamie Edmonds. Uh, good morning, team. Hey, good, good morning. morning. Uh, so you guys uh, have a day under your belt at the auto show. If uh, Renee and I wanted to take a jet ski down from New Baltimore to the auto show, what, <laughs> what are a couple of can't miss things that you guys have uh, have experienced already? Well, I'm going to let Jamie and Lloyd weigh in on that first. Well, it was really fun to go on the Bronco. The Bronco was We went as a team. Awesome. Yes. A, it was a team building event. Oh, and yes. we went you know, we went up the what do you call it? Mountain? The mountain. Yeah. Bronco Mountain. The Bronco Ford Mountain. With a 45 degree decline on the other side. Yes. So you feel and they took the doors off the Bronco before we went on this ride. And Guy was on the side that tilted the most. <laughs> so so he, was, he was fighting for his life. That was by so I'm I'm against yeah. the door that wasn't there. Lloyd is high and dry on the other side of the high back and dry. seat. Proving once again that he is the smarter and the wiser of the two of us. That's right. Hey, oh. during the zombie apocalypse, I'm rolling with Lloyd. There you go. That's that's a good deal. And let me tell you, when we got up to the tip top, you can almost touch the ceiling. Wow! Here, uh, when you get up to the top, and then when we went down, me and Guy, we put our arms up it like was we were like on Cedar a, Point. Yeah, it was wow. like, 
Yeah. It was funny. What was cool, now, the demonstration, the actual part of it, where we're going over this, this simulated really rough terrain where we only had three wheels on the ground, mm-hmm. you push a button, and instead of being tilted at 10 degrees, it levels you out. Yes. Wow. And so, I mean, if you're doing off-roading, it it definitely uh i did have questions about real world applications i'm like i guess sometimes potholes could make me like this but you know the lodge and the highways i drive aren't really <laughs> you're never driving to work jamie and then all of a sudden a mountain pops up in front of you no no <laughs> well uh two thoughts number one i hope nick roddy joined because he's a big fan of the bronco and number two, Renee, I think it's good that I'm back here at the Fisher Building because if they were going down that ramp like a roller coaster, uh, I have a sensitive stomach. I, 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 I don't think you'd want to be sitting next to me in that on that drive. It wouldn't be a good look for the station. <laughs> Local embarrassment. Clean up on aisle oh, four. Yeah. Right. And when it comes down from the Kobo ceiling, they really get angry about that. <laughs> WJR will not be invited back to the auto show. Um, Guys, some good news. I know that this was a big concern for you. Uh, Congresswoman Debbie Dingell uh, made the announcement yesterday that uh, though the UAW will be holding a rally uh, uh, ahead of the charity preview next door to Huntington Place, they will not be picketing the charity preview. Well, and I got to tell you, I was actually with Debbie when she started on that campaign and uh, reached out to and texted Sean Fain and said, listen, this is very important. Remember, Sean Fain's from Kokomo. He's not a Detroit guy. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't necessarily know about the importance of this event Mm -hmm. and 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 the children's charities that are benefiting. And the spirit of the event. Exactly. And so she reached out, kind of told him, hey, this is the background on this. Um, we've got the Ford UAW Training Center, which is right next door to Huntington Place. They will likely pick it there, yes. but they will not pick at the hall. Now, that's not to say that maybe some dissident factions right. you know, won't try to get in, but bottom line is the international is doing the right thing. Well, and, and I'm not sure how concerned UAW leadership is about winning hearts and minds, but I would imagine that... Uh, Picketing the charity preview would not be a good way to win the hearts and minds uh, of the American public. Right. Especially when they're trying to reconstitute this and re-energize it and boost the the take for these important charities that Mm -hmm. do a lot of work on the behalf of children of Detroit. Yeah, raised over $100 million over the last 25 years for numerous charities. And uh, we'll have analysis of the stand-up strike. JR Morning next. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is an endorsed open opening an impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden's involvement with son Hunter Biden's overseas business deals uh, while he was vice president, foregoing the customary vote among members. Andy McCarthy, who, as far as I know, has no relation to Kevin McCarthy, former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, talks with Kevin and Tom about the proceedings. All right, so House Republicans, spearheaded by Speaker Kevin McCarthy, have launched an impeachment inquiry against President Joe Biden, citing substantial concerns and, yes, lots of evidence regarding Joe Biden's knowledge and involvement in his family's foreign business dealings. And the White House responded, Ken, they responded, Ken, by saying, that, hey, there's zero evidence of this, and by sending a letter to the high-powered news executives telling these various news networks to push back against these Republicans and hold them accountable for their so-called lies about President Biden. Sound familiar? 
Yeah, Kevin McCarthy said it this way. These are allegations of abuse of power, obstruction, and corruption. That's why today I am directing our House committees to open a formal impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. I say the Republicans are following the money, and they believe that money goes right to Joe Biden. They believe he may have taken money as vice president, and if he did, we all... Tom, need to consider uh, that the president could be compromised. He may be doing favors today for countries who paid his kid millions of dollars and who perhaps paid him as well. Uh, that's what uh, this inquiry, I believe, is going to be about, and uh, we will see where it goes. Joining us now is uh, Andy McCarthy, former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, also contributing editor for the National Review and a Fox News contributor. Good morning, Andy. How are you? Good morning, Jess. How are you? Appreciate you being here. Do you think uh, this is the right move? Is this the right time, the right investigation? No, I really don't think anything's changed. I think the, the, it's the right investigation in the sense that um, the work that these committees have been doing in the last eight months has been really effective. I mean, you could see the, the poll that just came out a few days ago that shows that uh, fully I think it's 61% of Americans now think that Biden was uh, deeply involved in his family influence peddling business. And 42% of people think he committed a crime. Uh, to go, people just didn't know about this because it wasn't being covered. So I think these Republican committees have done a great job. Uh, the problem with the impeachment thing is it's really just changing the name on the door. It doesn't have any substantive effect because they didn't get, they didn't vote it in the house. What you need to do to get, you know, an impeachment committee with full impeachment powers to the extent that they're much different from committee powers, which I don't think they are, but you would need to get a full vote, a vote of the full house on a resolution that establishes the jurisdiction of the committee, and they haven't obviously done that. So I think this is just nomenclature more than anything else. Yeah, and they they didn't uh, take it to a vote because they don't have know if they would have the numbers or not because it's it's so close in numbers. And uh, some of their members are up for re-election. They're all up for re-election, but some would be worried that they, they, they could lose their seat. So they decide not to take it for a vote. When it doesn't go for a vote, does that give uh, uh, the, uh, Biden's team an opportunity to say we're not turning documents over? Yeah, well, that's what that's what uh, Trump's team did in 2019 when Nancy Pelosi, uh, rather than have a vote, uh, decided to just on her own order an impeachment inquiry like uh, like McCarthy did yesterday. The response of not only the Trump White House but the Trump Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel issued a formal opinion saying that you know basically it's not a legitimate inquiry. Uh, at least there's an impeachment inquiry. Um, if they haven't voted it. But at the same time, you know, the Oversight Committee and the Judiciary Committee, as those standing committees, have plenty of jurisdiction to demand information. The reason I think this move was a mistake is because up until now, if, you know, if, if Jamie Comer and the Oversight Committee issued a subpoena, there would be no legitimate argument to make that it wasn't a legitimate subpoena. So it just seems to me they've given the Democrats uh, an argument to make that what they're doing is not legitimate. And there was no reason for it other than there were a lot of people in the Republican conference who were hot to call this an impeachment inquiry. 
to my mind, these guys were doing a great job just doing what they were doing. So I don't, I don't really understand why it was necessary to go this route. Yeah, certainly you think there is enough evidence, though, to go down this road. I know they may not have the votes in the entirety of the House to do this. But there, there's all these, you know, financial records of the Biden family, you know, making at least $20 million in payments to shell companies and those types of things. And there's the Burisma accusations where Joe Biden had uh, Victor Shokin fired for looking into his son's business. What do you think of the evidence that has been collected so far is the strongest piece of evidence for an impeachment? Well, I, you know, I think there are a variety of uh, strong indicators uh, that would merit impeachment. It seems to me that they've already developed more evidence just in their preliminary investigation than the full House had against Trump in 2019 when they when they actually impeached him on Ukraine and couldn't even come up with a crime that they said that he had committed. Uh, with Biden, I think uh, the Burisma stuff is eye-popping, and it makes you almost forget that the China stuff is worse, you know, the stuff that right. we already knew uh, about the couple of China ventures. And I just, you know, as an American, um, I, I just think that the, the the most serious thing that Biden has done is eviscerate the border, which is a catastrophe for the country. And to my mind, you know, all of this family influence peddling stuff is shocking and it needs to be spotlighted for people. But the, what he's doing to the country uh, in, in the way of basically just collapsing the border uh, in a way that's now having profound consequences, even in blue cities around the country that are complaining about this policy. I mean, they're trying to blame Trump and the Republicans for it, but we all know why we're dealing with what we're dealing with. He's allowed um, more illegal aliens to come into this country than uh, would make up the population of several big cities in the United States. I mean, that's how that's how astonishing this problem is. Yeah, so there's a lot there, and yet you had the White House coming out. You had Ian Sams, of course, coming out, and just the White House in general saying this is uh, politically motivated. It lacks any type of evidence to go down this road, uh, and yet you just cited some of the evidence that's out there and the reasons for impeachment are greater than what Donald Trump was impeached for. So what do you make of this response on that front and also the fact that they are writing these news executives at these networks telling them to push back against the Republicans? Well, I mean, if for what it's worth, my take on Biden um, is that, you know, long before we have this senescent figure that, is now before us. He was basically an imbecile for 50 years who was on the wrong side of like every single issue. He's not a smart guy. He lies about trivial stuff. He's been doing it for half a century. Yeah. So why would anybody be surprised that their response to this is idiotic? It's it's basically just typical of who he's been. And it, it just seems to me that, you know, when they issue these kinds of marching orders and these kind of silly statements, they're talking to their own base, yes, which is all they ever talk to. Uh, and in the meantime, the country is turning on them. Yeah, they are. As and you cited the polls, right. Yeah. Most Americans can yeah. see what's happening so, here. And it's a, in large part, thanks to what's happening, I think, finally on Capitol Hill. Andy McCarthy, great to talk to you again. Former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, contributing editor for National Review and a Fox News contributor. Andy McCarthy, thanks. It's first thing with Mike Parsons on WJR.
Flying solo for at least the first part of the show this morning. Renee Vitale is out on assignment, but uh, she should be along shortly, and uh, she'll be getting you through the morning with uh, your traffic and weather and everything you need to know once JR Morning starts. Uh, Clock is ticking for the UAW and the Big Three to reach a uh, a deal by 11.59 p.m. tonight. And UAW President Sean Fain took to Facebook Live yesterday uh, to explain the strike plan if that deal is not reached. He's calling for what he calls a stand-up strike. And what that is is that local UAW chapters and plants will get on instructions from national leadership on whether or not to strike. Chapters and plants that are instructed to strike will do so. Others will continue working. Fain says more plants can be called to strike depending on how negotiations are going and uh, to, to ratchet up the pressure on the big three. This is going to create confusion for the companies. It's going to keep them guessing on what might happen next. And it's going to turbocharge the power of our negotiators. To be as effective as possible, it's important that the locals that are not on strike keep organizing actions. Keep organizing red shirt days, parking lot rallies, protests, and community events. Show the companies that you are ready to go on a moment's notice. And as the big three UAW strike looms tonight, 1,100 UAW members who work for Blue Cross Blue Shield began picketing yesterday outside their building in Lansing, just two blocks away from the state capitol. Steve Dawes, director of UAW Region, says that Blue Cross workers, they are protesting outsourcing in their call centers, unfair labor practices, and wage disparities, mainly a a two-tier pay system that requires an employee to work for 22 years before reaching the top pay tier. Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson says in a written opinion piece that Donald Trump will be on the Michigan ballot unless the court intervenes. Activist Robert Davis has asked Benson to declare Trump ineligible for the 2024 ballot, arguing that the 14th Amendment disqualifies him from running after the January 6th incident, an opinion gaining popularity with a number of legal scholars. Now, Benson said that the appropriate forum for deciding whether a candidate qualifies to serve in office under the Constitution is the court, mostly the Supreme Court, um, and that unless a court rules otherwise, Donald Trump will be on the ballot for our Republican presidential primary on February 26th. I'm sorry, February 27th, 2024. America's biggest tech CEOs traveled to Washington, D.C. to educate senators on artificial intelligence. Fox's Jessica Rosenthal reports that over 60 senators attended the forum, which was closed to the press and the public. Bill Gates, Sam Altman of OpenAI, and Sundar Pichai of Google were among those in attendance at the Senate AI Forum, which Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer called historic. We come out of that room exhilarated. He said each CEO agreed Congress needs to regulate AI, but after the meeting, Elon Musk said he didn't think Congress was ready for the task. Schumer was asked to respond to that. It's a big challenge. This is the hardest thing that I think we have ever undertaken. But we can't be like ostriches and put our head in the sand. He said the goal was to maximize the benefits, like curing diseases, while minimizing the negatives. After the meeting, Fox Business reporter Hillary Vaughn asked Musk, Is AI going to kill us all, Mr. Musk? I hope not. Jessica Rosenthal, Fox News. Michigan State University spokeswoman says that the university chose not to seek details of sexual harassment allegations against football coach Mel Tucker while they were being investigated. 
Interim President Teresa Woodruff, she acknowledged in a statement that she and the Board of Trustees were aware that an investigation into the allegations was open last December and wrapped up in July. But she said that uh, she and the majority of the Board of Trustees didn't learn details until the USA Today report was published on Sunday along with the rest of us. MSU spokeswoman Emily Garan essentially said that um, the university felt that the board and the president should stay out of the investigation to ensure a fair investigation and to make sure that there would be no pressure or influence on the process as it plays out. Now, Brenda Tracy, uh, the rape survival and sexual assault educator who is accusing Tucker uh, of sexual harassment um, without her consent, she released a statement through her lawyer saying that she went to USA Today with the story because someone had leaked her name in connection with that investigation. Mel Tucker remains suspended without pay pending a hearing on October uh, 5th and 6th. Governor Whitmer and state Democrats are making paid family and medical leave a priority, claiming it's a contributing factor to the state's lagging birth rate, which could have economic consequences down the road. Chad Livengood, political editor and columnist at the Detroit News, talks with Guy Lloyd and Jamie about it on JR Morning. I mean, there are big employers in Michigan, like 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 some of the automakers uh, in like white collar jobs that do offer a paid maternity leave uh, or short term disability uh, for a set number of weeks uh, for someone who needs to go you know recover from a surgery um, and but cannot really just sort of afford to take the unpaid time off um but um but yeah you when you talk to young families this is a huge issue this is the this is a deciding factor for some young people in whether they're going to have one two or three kids i mean and sometimes after one or two they 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 just cannot muster the the unpaid days off uh or they have to burn all their 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 regular pto uh their vacation time uh, in order to um, have a kid, have a kid, and then um, spend that early bonding time with them, or they take unpaid uh, weeks off, and and that you know that really hits the hits home for a lot of people, um, and this is where this is one of the you know, the, the sort of issues that is being dis- uh, debated in Lansing right now, is whether to adopt a universal uh, paid time off. Um, uh, for medical and family leave, um, similar to um, unemployment insurance, uh, where you basically uh, file a claim uh, for time off, you have to have a legitimate uh, reason, um, and and but there are a whole lot of different reasons you know, depending on the law, and then your employer uh, is assessed a payroll tax. Um, and there's a there's a, a government agency that, that administers this. This is this is being utilized um, live in about seven states, and there's about five more that are working to implement similar systems. And that's that's what Governor uh, Gretchen Whitmer is is uh, proposed to the legislature take a look at. And Jamie, you just had a baby in the last yeah. year. This, this is, is very, this very close, close, right? Very very close. You know. The time that you have with your newborn after they are born is so critical. Plus, you are not yourself. You have a lot of things going on with your body. It is really hard to return to your regular 9 to 5 or wherever you work. And the response from legislative Republicans, the, quote, summer break for adults, does not sit well with me and I'm sure a lot of working mothers.
job? I mean, my my sister in law just had a had a child uh, in April, and basically, uh, with her benefits uh, for for work and vacation time, she was able to take May, June, July, and August all off and return to work uh, after Labor Day uh, in order to um, spend all that time bonding with. Uh, and, and and adjusting, yes. I mean, there is a, a huge adjustment uh, to the physiological and physical health, particularly if you have a C-section. I mean, there, there's this there. You, and the the mother that I uh, uh, featured in my column, uh, Laura LeBlanc, she's a she's now a mother of five, has two uh, stepchildren, an adopted child, and then has had two of her own in the last uh, three years. Mm. Um, from a uh, mother from Wyandotte with a, you know, a, a, a white collar uh, uh, job. Um, she said she admittedly, I, I had postpartum depression really bad. Um, and I, but I had to, uh, I was only able to take um, a couple weeks off um, you know, with using my PTO. And then I had to return to work on week three um, at, and she negotiated it was something with her employer at that the time that she'd so work for early. 30 hours a week. And, and take yeah. 10 hours off uh, PTO just to preserve her own paid time off to, to ease back in. So she went to 30 hours and she, she, she broke her tailbone in, in childbirth. Oh, and wow. she's like, I, you know, I couldn't hardly sit down um, uh, in a kitchen table. How was I expected to sort of sit at an office uh, desk again? Yeah. It's just not a break is what the point I was making. Uh, no, there, and there are, there are companies who who offer you know maternity leave and and time off for the dads and adoptive parents, but let's say a employee has to take care of a, a, a ill loved one. Uh, some places they don't. They just feel like, listen, we you can take time off. We pay you enough. You should be able to cover that, and it shouldn't really hit your budget too bad. Yeah, I mean, anybody that uh, uh, lives paycheck to paycheck knows that's not really a reality. Uh, right. And 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 this and and then this economy with with uh, the way inflation has essentially zapped ten percent of our earnings in the last three years. Um, that's not uh, that's even harder now for a lot of families uh, at all levels. Um, and so uh, there's um, there, there is really uh, I think a, there is a compelling case here. I think the biggest issue is how do you set this up so it's not subject to fraud. And I'm sure you've heard by now escaped murderer Danilo Cavalcante was arrested yesterday nearly two weeks after escaping from prison near Philadelphia. Uh, authorities picked him up uh, his heat signature at 1 a.m. yesterday morning, but they had to call off the search. Due to bad weather, in the meantime, uh, tactical teams secured the area and moved in with search dogs. Now, Cavalcante, he was armed with that rifle he stole a few years ago. He tried to escape by crawling through some shrubbery. Uh, But the hero of this story, four-year-old police dog, a Belgian Malinois named Yoda, bit Cavalcante on the scalp which allowed uh, police to move in and take him into custody. Beautiful dog looks kind of like a uh, German shepherd. Good dog. First thing is Mike Parsons on WJR.